Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. It's not have I been wronged. No, it's have you wronged. Have you wronged? And have you been wronged? Forgive them. Seventy times seven. In other words, you're going to forgive them countless times. Well, now, here's the thought. If we're two on the horizontal, man to man, to forgive somebody that many times, don't you think God's going to forgive us that many times and more? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. When we mess up, we want to be forgiven no matter how many times we've messed up before. However, when someone hurts us, we can find it hard to extend them the same forgiveness. In his message, Pastor J.D. reminds us of the unending forgiveness we receive from our Heavenly Father. And as Christians, we're expected to give the same forgiveness we receive from God. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Now, (laughs) they worked great provocations. In other words, they provoke God. So what's God's response? Oh, verse 19. Yet in your manifold mercies, wow, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day. I'd at least taken away the cloud. You know, just for a few days at least. Just you need to think about this. Think about what you just, you just made a golden calf, said that's the God that delivered you out of Egypt. I'm going to have you guys scorch in the desert for a while without a cloud, just to teach you a lesson. But God doesn't do that to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night. I would have let them freeze a few nights in the darkness of the desert. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? You, you might have done worse than that to show them light and the way they should go. Verse 20, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst after they did all this. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness after they did all that. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Forty years God sustained them. Moreover, that's not all you did, God. You did exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything they could have ever imagined, as wicked and as evil and as rebellious and as sinful as they were. Moreover, verse 22, you gave them kingdoms and nations. Wow, that's a gracious God. That's a merciful God. And divided them in the districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Again, <laughs> how wicked are they? And yet how merciful is God? You know, one of the questions that comes up whenever you read something like this, is why Why do we have it recorded in our Bibles? I mean, this is now 
the second time. By the way, even throughout Scripture in the Psalms, this is recounted. The Red Sea parting, it's in the Psalms. Throughout the generations, God, by the Holy Spirit, deemed it necessary that this account of what God did should be repeated throughout the generations. But why does God want this to be indelibly etched in the minds and the hearts of his people? Is it to show us how wicked they were? I think about David. Talk about too much information. I don't want to know how he cunningly schemed and plotted to commit adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. This is the man after God's own heart. This is the David that slew the uncircumcised Philistine as a teenager. This is the king of Israel. This is the sweet psalmist of Israel. And he has Bathsheba's husband murdered, basically putting him on the front lines to his certain death. What a plot. Something you'd see on a television program, right? I mean, how evil is that? And why do we have such graphic detail about how evil they were. Is it to show us how bad they were? No. Here's what I believe. It's not to show us how bad they were. It's to show us how good God always is, in spite of how bad they were. And does that not encourage you? I know it encourages me, because I falter, I fail, I fall, I sin. You falter, you fail, you fall, you sin. But God, in spite of it, is merciful, long-suffering, kind, slow to anger, gracious, and merciful. Verse 23, you also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug. God just gave this all to them. Vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat. I can say amen to that. And delighted themselves in your great goodness. Uh Uh-oh. You know what's coming, don't you? Well, this is yet another instance in which God shows himself faithful even when we are faithless. Here's sadly what we're going to see next. It's this very faithfulness of God in blessing them so abundantly and prospering them so greatly that's actually going to lead to their disobedience. Sometimes prosperity can be very dangerous. I have a book in my library titled The Agony of Affluence. The title says it all. The Agony of Affluence. You know, sometimes being in need, even in poverty, it grows your faith because you have to depend upon God. But when you have abundance and God prospers you, you start putting your trust in that which you have. And you forget all about the one who gave it to you in the first place. You have need of nothing. I think about the church in Laodicea, the letter that Jesus had John write to them in Revelation chapter 3. You think you're rich? You have need of nothing? 
yet you are poor, wretched, blind, and naked. Oh, you think you have everything? You have nothing. You're so self-focused, so self-confident, so self-consumed. By the way, this is the church that Jesus is knocking on the door of, trying to get back in. He's not even in the church anymore. They don't need the Lord. They've got all that they need. Very wealthy. This was a, in fact, you can go to modern day Turkey and visit the ruins of this ancient city. It was extremely wealthy. Banking center of the world. Fashion runway of the world. It was the Paris, France. Of, it was the Hollywood of, the, that says it all right there. But they were so wealthy and they had need of nothing. And here's Jesus on the outside. They don't even need him. He's trying to get back into the church and sup with them and them with him. Verse 26, nevertheless, they were disobedient. Keep in mind, God blessed them so abundantly, prospered them so greatly. And what's their response? Disobedience. And they rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, verse 27, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies. Good for you, God. Go, God, whatever it takes, God, who will oppress them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven and said to them, no. No, that's not what it says. I'm just making sure you're still awake. We're almost done. It's almost the Bible study is almost done. Just bear with me. What's God's response when they cry out to him? According to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. You know what's interesting? And we see this replete throughout the history of the children of Israel. There's this cyclical dynamic. And what I mean by a cyclical dynamic is they go from being blessed and prospered to a cycle of rebellion and then repentance and then restoration and then back to rebellion and wickedness and disobedience again. Then God delivers them over to their enemies to oppress them. Then they cry out to God and repent, and God hears them, and God restores them. And then they get comfortable again, and they're prospered again, and they're blessed again, and they forget God again, and they become disobedient again. And then God has to go through this whole thing again with them and chastise them. And then they cry out to God, and God hearkens unto the voice of their cry and delivers them again and again and again and again. I want you to think about this, and we'll bring the chapter to an end here shortly. Have you ever thought this to yourself? God can't forgive me for that again. I've asked him so many times to keep forgiving me, and I keep messing up. And then I go to God and I ask, and I'm sure God's in heaven going, you know what? No, I've had it up to here with you. <laughs> Remember your parents saying that? I have told you till I'm blue in the face, which for my parents was not an easy do to go from brown to blue. <laughs> I have told you till I'm blue in the face. I have had it up to here with you. God's not like that. 
I think we do err greatly when we picture our Heavenly Father and we see our Heavenly Father loving and gracious and kind as He is through the lens of our earthly Father. One of the things the Lord ministered to me was kind of settled it for me. You know when um, Peter's querying the Lord about how many times he should forgive his brother who sinned against him? And he thinks he's being generous. And he says to Jesus, should, should we, eh, what do you say, like, should we forgive him like seven times? You know, all oh, Peter. I mean, I, I can imagine Peter thinking Jesus is going to just turn to him and go, Peter, man, you're so amazing. <laughs> oh my, you'll forgive him seven times? Oh, Peter, bless your heart. doesn't say that at all. He says, seven? Really? I mean, that's a loose paraphrase. He says, no, 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 not seven. Seventy times seven. You know what 70 times seven is? 490 times. Now think about that. For someone to sin against you 490 times, man, they must really have it out for you, first of all. But then... Can you imagine Peter counting? Okay, that's 423, 424, 420. Man, just a few more. And then 491, that's it. I'm not going to forgive you. No, that's not what Jesus was saying. He's saying you can't count. And love does not keep an account of wrongs suffered. I love what Oswald Chambers said. It's not have you been wronged. It's have you wronged. It's not, have I been wronged? No, it's have you wronged? Have you wronged? And have you been wronged? Forgive them. Seventy times seven. In other words, you're going to forgive them countless times. Well, now, here's the thought. If we're to, on the horizontal, man to man, to forgive somebody that many times, don't you think God's going to forgive us that many times and more? There's no limit. Isn't grace and mercy, by its very definition, limitless? Isn't God's grace? You cannot exhaust God's grace, and certainly you cannot exhaust His mercy. His mercy endures forever. Forever. You know how long that is? All eternity. You cannot exhaust the mercy of God. Verse 28, but after they had rest, here we go again, deja vu all over again, as one said, they again did evil before you, therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and many times, countless times, numerous times, you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet... They acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgment, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their... Look at the imagery. Shrugged their... Stiffened their necks and would not hear. Yet for many years, you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand 
of the peoples of the lands. This is God's discipline. Well, isn't that God's love too? I mean, think about this. God disciplines them. Why? Because he loves them. If he didn't love them, he wouldn't bother, right? Isn't this what the writer of Hebrews tells us? I won't take the time in the interest of time to read it, but I would encourage you to read Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 14 especially. Here's the gist of it. Don't lose heart. Don't become resentful towards God when he starts disciplining you, when he chastises you. Why? Because that's evidence that he loves you. I wish you wouldn't love me so much, because <laughs> this really hurts. Remember when your parents would say something like, this is going to hurt me a lot more than you can, it's going to hurt you. How many of you really believed that to be true right before you were to get a licking? <laughs> I, I, I have to do this because I love you. If you love me, you wouldn't do this. No, it doesn't work like that. And by the way, as the writer of Hebrews points out, ever so eloquently, the fact that you're being chastised is proof that you're a child of God. Let me illustrate it this way. So you're in a restaurant, and you're there with your family, and you're having dinner, and a table across from you, there's also a family, and the kids are so unruly. They're fighting and screaming, and the parents are doing nothing about it. They're throwing food at each other, and it's really kind of ruining your nice dinner that you're paying money for. So finally, you've just had it. So you get up, you walk over there, and you take that little whippersnapper, that little rascal, and you just start giving him a licking. What are you doing? (laughs) You can't do that. That's not your child. That You can't do that. Hey, you can discipline your own child, but that's not your child. You see the point? The fact that God will chastise us and discipline us is evidence and proof that we are his children. And he is our father. And he loves us enough to chastise us, to correct us, to discipline us when we are wrong. And when we've done wrong, verse 31, we'll bring it to a close. Nevertheless, here we go again. In your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. Again, the implication being that you certainly could have. God could have consumed them effortlessly and instantly, but he didn't because of his great mercy. He surely could have forsaken them, but he didn't. Why? For you are God, and here it is again, I cannot hear this enough, gracious and merciful. Gracious and merciful. Now therefore, verse 32, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy Do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. In other words, take pity on us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, verse 33, you are just in all that has befallen us. 
for you have dealt faithfully, and he has. But we have done wickedly, and they had. Neither our kings nor our princes, verse 34, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works Here we are, verse 36, servants today and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it, and it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress And because of all of this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. You see what's happening here? I love ending a chapter like this and a Bible study with it. Here's God's people. A revival is taking place. A true and godly sorrow which always leads to a genuine repentance on the part of God's people. And what is God's response? Listen, whenever we repent, God will never turn us away. It's not God's will that any should perish, right? But that all should come to repentance. In fact, this is what God does. This is his M.O., if I can say it that way. Why does he give his people over to their enemies to be oppressed? So they'll repent, so they'll wake up and realize, whoa, We have sinned greatly against God. And God has chastised us and God has delivered us into the hands of our enemies so that we'll realize and wake up and repent and turn back to Him. And when we turn back to Him, His response is to take us back. That's the real miracle, isn't it? When there's repentance, that God takes us back. He's the God of endless chances. Aren't you glad? We say he's the God of second chances, but that's that's limiting him. Uh, because then if he's the God of second chances, that means he's the God of third. I need him to be the God of endless chances because I'm way past three. I'm way past four, too. I'm in double, triple digits, and so are you again. So I need God to be a God of endless chances, a God of new beginnings, so that whenever I cry out to Him, He hearkens into the voice of my cry, and He heals me, and He restores me when I repent. God will never turn us away when we repent. Learning about the history of Israel brings us new insight into God's faithfulness and ability to use anyone and everyone to accomplish His purposes. We have a God who loves us more than we can imagine and who desires to have us join Him in spreading that love to every corner of the earth. One way in which we can have a great impact is through prayer. Here at In Spirit and Truth, we pray regularly for our listeners and we ask that you in turn would intercede for us. Please pray that we keep our focus on advancing God's kingdom and that our hearts would always be open to God's leading. Please join us in praying for those who will tune in to In Spirit and Truth that they would be touched by God and turn their lives over to Him. 
Thanks for joining us in this way. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more from Pastor J.D., find us online at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click Listen at the top of the page. Pastor J.D. also has a convenient way for you to stay connected. Yes, I do, Josh. You can download the In Spirit and Truth mobile app on any device and listen anywhere, anytime. Our app includes our studies through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, as well as our Bible prophecy updates. Many are finding the mobile app to be very helpful in this fast-paced world in which we live. To find the link to our app, you can go to inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks, Pastor J.D. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us again for more from Nehemiah right here on In Spirit and Truth.